All right, thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. So do us a favor, subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the bell for notifications, and of course, comment down below or upvote the video itself. It will be much appreciated. I'm doing this a little bit differently today. This is going to be an evening standalone show, but we have Pratt Rogers, who wants to talk a little bit about Ole Miss football today. How you doing, Pratt? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Excited to be on again. Appreciate you having me. Oh, yeah. This is a ton of fun. I, this is what I tell everybody whenever we are doing show. I want perspectives and everything because I want people to talk about what it's like for them to be a fan. I don't want people that just want to complain about everything that's going on. I, I want the full fan experience of exactly what they're thinking. And we were just talking before the show that how much I didn't want this to be basically my talking points. I wanted it to be your segment. And um, I I think we're going to find a pretty good balance um, as it goes. But anyway, starting out, Ole Miss has got some quarterbacks on campus, don't they, bud? Oh, my gosh, man. I (laughs) I don't know whether to be excited or scared or or overwhelmed with joy. I'm just a roller coaster of emotions right now with, with what we got going on between Dart, Sanders, and Howard. I think it's extremely exciting uh, to answer your question, but would love to hear kind of what you think about all this is everybody has got a million different opinions on the subject. Yeah. um, Like if you listen to this morning's podcast, you heard that like, I think that Jackson Dart and uh, Spencer Sanders are statistically the same quarterback. They both have trouble. Um, with turnovers at times. They're both good runners of the ball. They're both excellent deep ball throwers. And the numbers are almost identical, Steve. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're statistically the same guy. So that quarterback competition is going to be an absolute war. But the quarterback that intrigues me, that I'm going to watch, and I hope that they just immediately start trying to develop him and getting ready, not necessarily for this season, but for the first game of 2024 is Walker Howard. When you watch him play, it's Matt Corral. You see Matt Gosh. Corral all over his game. What a stud. Yeah. It's amazing. So my opinion is that between Jackson Dart and Spencer Sanders, whoever wins the job, because it's not likely going to be Walker Howard because he kind of needs a year. But with which one of those two wins the job is going to be the number one quarterback, then Walker Howard will be the number two, and then um, the loser will be number three. That That's what I think is going to happen. Uh, no, I hundred percent. I hundred percent agree. Um, I don't really foresee a whole lot different than that, um, unless you know somebody doesn't. Somebody believes they're entitled to the starting job and transfers out, and, or something along those lines that may throw a curveball in that strategy. But um, outside that, I, I think kind of set in stone. Yeah, and whoever if we go out against Mercer and we score 60 points. Whenever the first quarterback that comes into the game, it doesn't need to be the loser of those two guys. It needs to be Walker Howard. He needs those reps, and they, they really need to work on that. Because once he's ready to go, that's a dude, man. That He's a dude. Well, Stephen, I'll ask you this. If, uh, if between Dart and Sanders, if it's a true 50-50, true QB battle all the way to the Mercer game, as you described, do you believe Dart gets the edge because he's been in the system and has more eligibility? So going into this QB battle, does Dart already kind of have a leg up on 
on the competition? Well, you would think so because new quarterbacks, when they come in, they need time to acclimate. But Spencer Sanders, like a fifth-year senior, and he's married. I mean, he's he's a grown man. So he's going to acclimate quicker. So I'm looking at this, and the earlier the quarterback job is won. So if Lane Kiffin names a starting quarterback on August 14th, that's advantage Jackson Dart. If Lane Kiffin names a starting quarterback on August 31st, that's advantage to Spencer Sanders, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, if we name a quarterback on August 31st, we're I don't know if that's a good thing, to be honest with you. I think yeah, that it, means that Kiffin's pretty torn on what's going on. And honestly, if he's pretty torn on what's going on, he probably should just name Walker Howard. And we probably have two average – I was going to say, probably yeah. have two average quarterbacks at that mm-hmm. point. Um, so – yeah, a lot of moving pieces with this. Very exciting stuff for sure. I never thought that any of this would happen. The prior podcast, Stephen, you kind of mentioned how's the average feel, how's the average fan feel about the Rebels right now, and I was probably a little salty about our recruiting recently, and um, kind of no backup quarterback, no Plan B, missing Marcel Reed in in the high school recruiting. Uh, commitment day and from here on it's kind of been a lot of a lot of good news recently it's exciting it really is i got the commitment um yesterday from the offensive lineman from diablo valley um i can't pronounce his name i'm not even going to try um and they've got um walton the cornerback from georgia tech so Ole Miss has a chance to have a 6-4 and a 6-3 corner um, Deshaun Gaddy from North Texas is also in the boat, even though there might be some academic stuff that he has to get through to transfer in. Um, DeAndre and Prince, Prince is, is back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, and Prince, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Stephen. And Prince is no matter no matter what. I think your your day one corner of your your he's on his own island over there. Uh, he's seasoned vet. What is he a uh, senior? fifth year now i can't even remember i think he's a true senior but man, man the years are so messed up now i have no idea he uh well i know he did that time community college i mm. couldn't back into it but all that to say he's he's a weapon on the outside and i'm really really excited to get him back i think our cornerback room would be very different without him coming back and probably a lot of question marks behind it but he's definitely an anchor for the defense well if you look at the defensive backs that left and the defensive backs that are coming in. How do you think that looks? That is a great question, Stephen, because a lot of these corners and DBs are coming in from probably lower-tier programs, I would say, but they're superstars at a lower-tier program. So how does that equate to the SEC is probably my main question for our uh, for the 2023 D-backs. Um, I would say that I was uh, a strength of our team last year was kind of that we ran this weird uh, defensive back heavy uh, defense and a lot of players got a lot of reps. Um, with that, we've since had a lot of transfers. We'll be having a lot of new players come in. So I, do, I think it's just a major question of what is the skill set transferred to, and you've got to just kind of believe that this talent eval- evaluations from Kiffin transfer to the SEC West. Um, that's probably the big question for me. 
Yeah, whenever you look at Ole Miss and anything that deals with the program and just any problem overall with me, I always I put a post on Twitter today, and um, I always say it on the show. I'm not a person that's going to talk about that something is happening. I want to know why something is happening. So if you have a situation to where, okay, Tysheem Johnson and Davis and Igmanosin are likely gone. They're probably going to end up at Texas A&M or Oregon or however it goes. So that explains. That's why Walton, that's why um, Gaddy, um, John Saunders, those those replacements in the cornerback room, that, that makes sense to me. Now, how would you imagine, what is the why, in your opinion, of the recruiting of defensive line targets? All over the South, they're getting offers. The Ole Miss is casting an unbelievably wide net on defensive line targets. Why do you think that is happening? It could be because uh, Golding comes in with a brand-new defensive package that we're just kind of unaware of at this point because he, I imagine there hadn't been any practice or anything like that yet. They probably hadn't even gone through the playbook with, uh, yet or anything, what they're going to implement next year. But you got to imagine if we're sitting there evaluating away from a three-down lineman set that everybody was so frustrated with, you got to imagine that – Golding comes in and changes the body type of each individual on the defensive line and says, Hey, I'm going to recruit my guys. Um, so I think he's got to cast a wide net because we got into the, because he was hired late during the portal cycle, probably didn't exactly have a fair shake at the defensive lineman within the portal in the early section of, of uh, when the portal opened. Uh, because we didn't even have Pete Golding hired yet at that point. So I think you've got to just kind of evaluate everybody, anybody and everybody to fit your scheme right now. Whatever that scheme may be, uh, I think you just got to get bodies. And getting bodies, obviously the NIL portion becomes a major part of getting bodies. Ole Miss is obviously they're over $10 million right now in NIL money. They've got a heck of a war chest and – Honestly, right now with Spencer Sanders and Walker Howard, they're using it. What do you think the max is for Ole Miss? What's the cap? Well, you know, right now, current we're, the the very vogue statement of being at ten million dollars in NIL in Oxford is is floating around from everybody right now. But that's ten million dollars in commitments or pledges. It's not necessarily, from my understanding at least, ten million dollars sitting in some bank account um i believe that that two million dollars that people have pledged over a year-long span or you your your month a lot of these play people are monthly commitments well so, there, there was there was a story that said that was 10 million dollars cash on hand i would be i'm surprised to hear that Stephen, because yeah. i know uh chuck roundsville came out i guess not terribly long ago and your your stat may be newer than mine yeah saying that a lot of this was committed dollars, not necessarily sitting in a bank. But it, I, I would not be surprised, but if by now, you know, kind of in a, uh, in a, since that time frame, it is sitting in a bank. But all that to say, your original question, how much do I think Ole Miss can raise? How much do I think we need to be competitive on? Um, I think 10 million is a great starting point. I think we're absolutely doing better than, uh, a multitude of other schools in the SEC. 
I would like to see us kind of hit that $15, $20 million number. I think that's kind of where, you know, the Georgias, the Texas, Ohio States, or if not more, they're already more than that. So if we can, I think we're doing a great job with what we've got. I'm actually pleased to see Kiffin turn down guys uh, that are asking for for the moon and NIL uh, and say, look, I think I can go find somebody who's a better player and a more cost-effective option for the program. I think that he's being very wise with the resources that we've currently allocated. Yeah, if you look at the NIL situation right now, and, and the old saying is you are worth what somebody is willing to pay you. That, you know, that, that's the old saying. But in the NIL, NIL game, that person's worth can be up or down depending on who they're talking to. Because if somebody, somebody has to be smart enough to not get into a bidding war to where you're reaching and just completely overpaying, especially when the resources at a place like Ole Miss isn't like the resources at a place like Texas. So you can't overpay for a prospect or a quarterback. If Ole Miss would have overpaid for Marcel Reed, they probably wouldn't have been able to get Walker Howard. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, and I don't know if anybody would take that trade ever. No doubt. I don't think mm. I, I can't. I don't think anybody would. Mm-hmm. Um, so look, that's kind of echoes my original point. I think Kiffin's being very fiscally responsible with the the resources that we currently have, um, and I'm 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 proud of what's been raised so far i think uh the the grove collective is really doing a good job uh, i think everybody's really pitched in to really move the program forward in a positive way yeah abs- absolutely anyway thanks again for making the locked on on this podcast your first listen every day make sure you check out our brand new podcast locked on college basketball it's everything you need to know about college basketball in one place Plus, hear from big-name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. It's Locked On College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Hey, Pratt, thank you very much for coming by. I look forward to next week talking about it. Hopefully, we have some resolution to the transfer portal come next Tuesday. Gosh, I hope so. A lot of DBs, I hope, out there kind of floating around. I'd love to land. Um, Anyway, really appreciate you having me, Stephen. And Lane, we trust. Hotty toddy. Hotty toddy. Hotty toddy.